Grab a hand of a brother next to you, and uh, let's uh, approach God, all right? Or put your arms around each other. Father, uh, we thank you for being an uh, incredibly powerful God who is able to do things with weak people. And Father, we are thankful that you are a gracious God. Father, if you're powerful but not gracious, you destroy us. But because you're powerful and you're gracious, you empower us to do and to be more than we ever thought we could be. And it's my prayer as we talk to a group of men that are involved in campus ministry that they will decide to be men and they will decide to be your men. And Father, being your men means a revival of character. You can't simply put on a mask. You can't simply play out a set of actions or roles. It's about who we are. And Father, it's why Christianity is about our heart and not our skin. It's about our minds and Father, not our appearances. It's about who we are. So as we talk about reviving character, God, I pray that you will help us to be the kind of men that can go to our campuses, and because we are there, there is integrity and character that's there, that you are present, and both your word is proclaimed, and it is modeled, and because of that, the people who hear us find you and salvation, Father. Help us to be mighty men of character, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're talking about character, reviving your character this session. And we, before, you can, before we can talk about what, you know, let's revive your character, we have to define what character is, all right? So let me give you a, both a biblical kind of definition for character and then a practical one. And what you may be surprised to find is that while the Bible is just over, it's filled with references to what we would describe as character, that word is used very, very seldom. In 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter wrote this to a church that was struggling, and he said, in view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Then he says, supplement your faith, and this is 2 Peter 1, 5, supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence, and moral excellence with knowledge. If you want what has been described as character in Scripture and the reference that's very commonly used, that's the passage, and the NLT renders it moral excellence. So that's the International Standard Version says it this way, for this very reason you must make every effort to supplement your faith with moral character, with your moral character add knowledge. So character by a biblical definition is a moral excellence, that we have a standard of the way that guides us that is excellent. Now from a practical perspective, if you want a description, more character has been described as who you are when no one is looking. It's who you really are, or maybe better than who you are when no one is looking, it's who you are where no one can look. Now they can have evidences, you know, Love is, a, love is only known through the evidences that are there. Character can only be seen by the evidences. But character is more than the evidences. It is this excellence that's inside of you. And so while there may be some struggle to define character, the greatest struggle we have is not in defining what great character is. The greatest struggle we have is developing character, developing integrity, and those words are, are interconnected in concepts. I was reading, uh, several years ago, I read a book by a guy named Alan Redpath. Uh, it's a book called The Making of a Man of God. Great book on the life of David. I haven't read anything from him for years, but I was researching this lesson, and I came across this quote where it says, the conversion of a soul is a miracle of a moment. 
the manufacture of a saint is the task of a lifetime. You see, it is easy to be converted. It is harder to be transformed. And character is about a transformation to where you're not just saying, I want to be like Jesus, but it is literally what Paul would say his goal for the church was that Christ would be formed not around them, but that Christ would be formed within them. It's that moral center, that excellence to where if you look on the outside, you go, man, you look like a Christian. And if you get up close, you go, man, you still don't look so good. No, I mean, you look like a Christian, but if they cut you, you go, it's not just Christian on the surface, it's Christian in the center. It's character. It's what you are made of. And so, as, as, as Redpath said, man, to, to have your sins forgiven is a miracle of a moment. To become like a Christ-like person from the inside out is a task for a lifetime. But it's a task that if we're, not de- if we're not devoted to it, then our old character will come up and our old habits and we'll end up walking away from Jesus. So today in our quest to discover how to revive our character, how do I, how do I revive this, this, this integrity to where when you look at me, I look like Jesus, and when you cut me in half, I look like Jesus? Well, we're going to look at a character in the Scripture who had great character. He's one of the few people in Scripture that nothing bad is said about, and in every angle that you get to see him from, you see a person of integrity, of character, of consistency. His name is Joseph, and we're going to look at Joseph as a lesson on how do you, how do you revive, how do you form godly character. And we're going to do this a little different because we're going to look at four of the, uh, four, and and really I guess technically one is two parts. We're going to to look at four significant life events that Joseph experienced. And we're going to see what was happening from a little bit different angle to where the lighting is going to shine on this perspective in this particular point. We're going to be looking at the same life event from a perspective over here so it's a little bit different. And then the third time we'll look from here. But in those three things, you get both what it takes to develop character and what it looks like when you have that kind of character. And if, this, if, it, if you don't look like this, then you've got a problem in one of these three areas. So let me give you those, and you can write these down and you can study them later. But first of all, Joseph shows me that if I want my character to be revived, I must begin with an awareness of and trust in God. I must begin with an awareness of and trust in God. You see, the foundation for great character is my faith in God, my personal relationship with Him, and how I am am aware of His presence and how I trust His presence in my life. Biblical faith is more than just believing in God, it's believing God. It's trusting God, and it's fair to say and we could support it biblically if we had more time, that Christ-like faith involves an awareness of trust in God, and without Christ-like faith, it is impossible for you to have character that's good. In Hebrews chapter 11, 6, the Bible says this, that without faith, it's not possible to be well-pleasing to God. And this is the Bible in basic English. He says, for it's necessary for anyone who comes to God to have the belief that he is. Now understand, God's ultimate goal is for you to be transformed into the image of Christ. And when he's talking about that, he's he's talking about where God sees all the way through you. So he says, listen, you're never going to be pleasing. You're never going to be transformed into the image of Christ unless you have a faith in God. And he says, first of all, that faith is you have to believe that he exists. 
But it goes beyond simply believing that he exists and awareness of the existence of God. He says, not only do you have to believe that he is, but he says, and you must believe that he is the rewarder of all of those who make a serious search for him. NIV says, for all those who diligently seek him. So you have this idea that there has to be this, I have to be aware of God's existence. And for, some, for me, that was a question. For a lot of my life, it's not any, uh, it's not any longer. But the greater struggle is to, is to really trust him that in all that he's asking of me, that he is a rewarder of those who seek me. Mackie was talking about this morning, it's a strange sort of twist and, and almost a, 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 a contradiction that, that you have Joel Osteen saying, become you know, a Christian because God wants to shower you and it's all about you. But yet the Hebrew writer says that, listen, you'll never be pleasing to God unless you understand that God is in the business of rewarding you. This isn't about God's command. is isn't about a power of faith from God simply to make you get to your knees and submit. It's because he knows that in submission you're going to find life. God says, I love you a bunch. And what Joseph believes we'll see in all in these life lessons that from the first angle is that there was an awareness of God and a trust for God that you constantly seeing him choose to have. And it is a choice. Now, if we look at his life lessons again, if you go through them, basically, you know, we've said it's impossible to have good character without having a relationship with God. And the relationship with God is the cause and the effect is our character. Now, a lot of times if we're not careful, we'll shoot for good character. We'll, you know what I mean? We'll shoot for a good character, and, but we miss a relationship with God. We've got character defined as, as I do this, this, and this. And so we're trying to do this, but we don't have a personal relationship with God. Through the years, we've had people walk away from God. Some of them, you're just shocked. But a large group of people through the years that have walked away, especially those that come through our teen and our, our junior high teen and high school ministry, our own kids sometimes, one of the things I notice is there are people that go through the motions, but they never seem to form a personal relationship with God. At every level, whether they're in third grade or eighth grade or ninth grade or twelfth grade or fourteenth grade, they have to be pushed and somebody else is orchestrating everything. And if they weren't there to make them aware of what God expects, they would never do it. They would never have their quiet times. Even the Jesus Storybook Bible we went through as a church and we had people in high school that had to be treated like they were in, in kindergarten. And I want you to know, when you have to be, it says that there's a problem with their personal relationship. Now, they wanted to be good kids, but they shot for being good kids and ignored the relationship with God, and they end up missing both. You see, here's the thing. Your faith in God, you cannot have good character unless you're making sure that you are aware of God and trusting him. If you look at Joseph, you'll see that he consistently displays an awareness of and trust for God. He does in all situations, whether they're good or bad, whether he's in situations that are easy for him to understand or impossible for him to understand. But you will find him being aware of God and trusting that even though he doesn't know why things are happening, he knows who is there to support him as things are happening. So let's look at those four major events that we're going to look at. And, and here's what I want you to know. These four events, you will see in, day, in, in Joseph an incredible awareness of God. The first thing that you see is in David's revealing of his dreams to his brothers and fathers. In Genesis 37, verses 5 and 9, he reveals that he's had these dreams. Now, for a long time, I have had a, I had a problem 
when people, a lot of preachers will talk about Joseph and they're going, you know, Joseph, he was, you know, he has these dreams and he's just a show off and he goes and rubs his, his, his brother's nose in it and all, and, and the only problem with that is none of that is either stated or in any way directly implied in what's going on in him telling those dreams. I believe that Joseph believed that God was the source of his dream, and there's evidence for that when you read his story, and his family's response seemed to suggest that David did not see the dream as just an off-the-wall dream. You know what I mean? When they, when they tell the dream, the fathers are going, what are you saying? You think that you're, we're going to bow down to you too? They are getting from Joseph that he believes that there's something prophetic in this dream. It's not just an off-the-wall dream for Joseph. It's the word of God. It's the revelation of God. And I believe there's some more evidence. We're going to talk about more of that later on as to why I think that's true, that he's not just a show-off as we go along. But in the, in the telling of his dream, you see this awareness of God. Why does he tell it? I don't believe there's anything in his character that, that I see any other point through the stories that suggests an arrogance that's there. As a matter of fact, it's just the opposite. But I would suggest to you that if someone is given a word from God and they believe it's from God, there is a consistency through Scripture that that person is expected to share that revelation from God. That it's never just about them. You move on from the telling of his dream to his brothers to his rejection of, uh, of Potiphar's wife. In Genesis 39.9, this woman comes in and tries to present, and there, there's every reason to believe that she is not an ugly, unattractive woman. The wealthy men of Egypt got the beautiful women of Egypt. And Satan knows that if you're going to tempt one of God's men, you don't do it with an ugly woman, right? Right? Remember Bathsheba? What does the Bible say about her? Two things that Satan knew would work. She is beautiful and she was naked, right? Always be leery of a woman who has bath in her name, okay? I'm just telling you. It's just, you're right there. You got to go, okay, that's a hint that this, he's not up to any good here. But she was beautiful. She was the king who had the choice. What do we know through all of scripture when you look at Esther, when you look at all of the stories of a pagan king or a person of pagan influence having a bride is they get the choice. So you have this woman who is beautiful that's there. And yet in the middle, if you look at him again, Joseph, and this is, we're not going to read it because of time, but Genesis 39, 9, well, we can. No one is great. She, she seduces him and tries and he flees. And he says, no one is greater in, the house, in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you're his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? He is in the middle of Egypt, in the lap of luxury, in the dark. Nobody has to know. And yet his thoughts, he has this awareness that guides him of, hold it, there is a God who's watching me. And you're going to find again with David, I mean with Joseph, this consistency is there that he, that he has, that, that when he starts to do something, it's, if, it, it's as if it is already there or he chooses the focus to go, oh, God is here. And it's one of the transforming marks of someone who has character. You know, in, on May 21st, Reed and I will have been married 40 years. That's a long time for anybody to stay married. You know what I'm saying? It really is. Even for someone as blessed and fortunate as her, it's really an amazing feat. You know what I'm saying? It's just, it's, it's just amazing. 
But honestly, there is no reason why I should be married 40 years. I got married when I was 17 years old. I come from a history of sexual abuse through a pedophilic, abusive great-grandfather. Everything says that we ought to be divorced and that we ought to be, you know, my kids, you know, we had kids early. Nothing should put us together except in choosing her, I chose her out of an awareness of God. And an awareness of both what God would think and what it would do to my wife who served and loved me, it's been one of the guiding things that has kept me from being a person who I've never came close to having an affair. And when I was young, believe it or not, there were a number of opportunities that were not just, that were Joseph-like in the sense of somebody, you know, just stepping out and saying, hey, you want to do this? And it wasn't great moral strength on me at that point that allowed that to happen, but it was this awareness that God has rescued me. And before I make any decision, I need to make sure that this is a decision that God is included in as we talk. So you see that. The, 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 the next life event is, is, in, is in his interpretation of the dreams, whether it would be his dreams to regular people like the baker and, and, and the... Uh, the candlestick maker, oh, that's not the Bible story, sorry. That's a different one. But you know, when, he, when, he's, when he's in prison and, and he has these two guys, they're just commoners. They're, they're just hired servants like he is. And as he gives, reveals the dream to them, or if he is revealing his dream that the Pharaoh was giving him, the consistent thing is whether he is revealing a dream to the commoner who he's in prison with or the person that's in the palace from the prison to the palace, the one constant you see in Joseph is this awareness of God that interjects itself into what's going on at the moment. In Genesis 40 verse 8, the Bible says as, as the, the, uh, the uh, cupbearer is retelling his dream, he says, we both had dreams, they answered, but there was no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God, tell me your dreams. Now, he's not saying he is God. As a matter of fact, he's saying just the opposite, and we'll see that revealed when he goes before the king. But what you see is that he could have just simply said, tell me your dream, but he wasn't able to do that. There was this awareness of God's glory that was there, but just, and we're going to talk more about specific awareness, but there was an awareness of God's presence and God's powers that he had within his heart and with his mind. In Genesis 41, verses 15 and 16, when he comes before Pharaoh, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it, but I've heard it said of you that you can hear a dream and you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph said, replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer. Again, what do you see? Whether he's in the prison or the palace, there's this awareness of God's presence, just, and, I, and again, and this trust in God. When he's in prison, he doesn't go, I don't care about God, but instead he gives this this acknowledgement of God. When he's in the palace, he's not angry and he's not using this manipulative thinking, man, if he thinks I'm doing it, I'll get a head up and I'll, I'll, I'll be the wise man. Of the... But instead, God permeates. And I would suggest to you again that good character begins with your awareness of God. When you made some of the dumbest decisions that reflected your character, they were enabled because you had not regularly made sure that God was being interjected into the situation. When it comes to his forgiveness of his brothers in Genesis chapters 45, verse 4, the next several verses, or Genesis chapter 50, verses 19 and 20, 
He reveals himself. It says, then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I'm your brother Joseph, the one who sold you, you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Why was he not angry? Why was he not resentful? Because the God that was in his native land was the God that was in his foreign land. And it was still not about where he was, but an awareness of who God was in God's presence. In every situation, Joseph's point of reference is not his feeling, but his faith. And he's acutely aware of God's presence, and God permeated every corner of his life, whether it was in the darkness of the dungeons or in the spotlights as the savior of the land. David never forgets, man, this is, God is God, and I trust him. It's the first step, having that awareness. If you want to have your character revived, allow God to permeate every corner of your life. Allow him to, quarter, to permeate your bedroom. Allow him to penetrate the, the darkness of your, of your nights. Allow him to interject himself into your dating life. Allow him in your, in your work life. And all of a sudden, the constant presence of God begins to shape me. And I can still have bad character, but I'll do it in rebellion to God, not simply in ignorance. So Joseph shows me if I want my character revived, I must begin with awareness of and trust in God. Secondly, Joseph shows me that if I want my character revived, I must continue the transformation by discovering God's will. You see, inner transformation, the transformation of my character involves embracing God's way of thinking. Good character can only be defined by God. Think about what Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not conform yourselves to the standard of this world. Now, another translation says, do not allow the world to shape you in its mold. If you've ever made, growing up I fished a lot, we made lead weights. And we would make, melt lead and we'd pour it into a mold and it went from being a piece of scrap to where it became a fishing weight from the inside out. It was what it was. It's what it was, it was what it was used for, and if you found it, if you're a fisherman, you'd recognize that's what it was. There was integrity led all the way through with its purpose. Paul says, listen, here's what you need to know. That if God is going to change you, he goes, don't conform yourselves to the standards of the world, but let God transform you inwardly by a complete change of your mind. So a general awareness of God's presence and trust in him has to be met with something that is more informative. It's why Paul says, how can they believe unless someone preaches to them? Do you believe in God? Yeah, but that's really, it doesn't do a lot of good unless you have more information about God. Your character has to be shaped by the word of God. We've defined character, right? Peter does as moral excellence. My question for you is how do you know what's moral? How do you know what's excellent outside of the word of God? You see, it's impossible for you to believe that you have good character. But if your character is not defined by God, then you've missed it. In Luke chapter 18, remember, the lawyer comes up to Jesus and says, good teacher, what must I have to do to, in, to inherit eternal life? What is he, what's his next words? What? No, it's not right, the next words. There you go. You got it. Why do you call me good? You see, why is, I've always wondered why he's doing it. What I think he's doing is that he's going, you're calling me good, but you've got this definition that you have of what's good, and you don't even understand what's good. It's formed in your opinions, not in God's. 
And so what he is giving us this idea again is, is that I can't really know exactly what good character is without having God's word in my life. Having moral excellent requires knowing what is excellent morally, and knowing requires the word of God. We study this sin with, with people, and one of the passages we go to is Romans chapter 7, where the Bible says, Nevertheless, I would have not known what sin was and had not been for the law. For I would have not known what coveting really was if the law had not said, You shall not covet. He says, listen, you wouldn't even know. So if you're defining your characters, you go, I think I'm a pretty good guy. What definition are you using? Because unless it is an informed decision, it may be sincere. But you know you can be sincere and be absolutely wrong. So Joseph has this, this understanding of God's presence, but as we look at him, we find out that he also has an understanding clearly of the will of God, of what God wants. And you only find out what God wants from God's word. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14, the Bible says, Solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. You cannot know good from evil apart from the word of God and being in it regularly. So you may go out, well, I'm trying to make good decisions, and it's a flip of the coin if, they're basing them on, if you're basing it up on who you are outside of the transforming power of the word of God. So I've got to know, that, listen, if, if, I'm going to, if I'm going to be like Joseph, I've got to have this awareness of God and this trust in God, but that trust is not just manifest in his existence, but it's manifest in his will, and when he says something, it's right. In Romans chapter 7, this is again, this is in the message paraphrase, and I love this, when he talks about how we can screw up everything if we don't allow God to define us, which is kind of funny because the message paraphrase does that a lot. But anyway, it says without its clear guidelines, again, this is verse 7, without its clear guidelines for right and wrong, moral behavior would be mostly guesswork. Apart from the succinct surgical, surgical command, you shall not covet, I could have dressed up covetous to look like a virtue and ruin my life with it. He goes, man, I can say anything's good. I can take something and go, oh, yeah, that's good, and I can ruin my life with it. You see, just because you think something's good doesn't make it. Did you know there are people that can do horrible things and it not bother their conscience at all? If you ask them, do you think you have a character flaw? They go, no, I don't feel guilty at all. What's the problem? What are they called? They're called sociopaths. And they are absolutely self-centered, and their problem is neither their character or conscience has been shaped by the Word of God, but by their culture and their own backgrounds. There's a guy in Scripture who did horrible things but didn't feel guilty. Genesis, uh, I'm sorry, uh, where am I at here? Acts chapter 23, verse 1. Paul says this, gazing intently at the high council, Paul began, brothers, I have always lived before God with a clear conscience. Do any of you see that as weird? I have, another translation, I've lived with a clear conscience to this day. What had Paul been involved in his Saul? Murdering Christians, breaking up their families, trying to eliminate the church of Jesus Christ. And he says, I live today with a good conscience. Well, how could he say that? Because at that time, his conscience was clean, but it wasn't educated. Now, later on, Paul's going to make some statements like that sound similar. Romans chapter 9, verse 1, Paul says, With Christ as my witness, I speak with utter truthfulness. My conscience confirms it and the Holy Spirit. 
I think that's funny that he didn't just go, my conscience confirms it. He didn't just end there. Why? Because when he, when he was persecuting Christians, he said, man, my conscience is clean. Man, and I was a screw-up. I was an enemy of Christ. Oh, but what's the difference now? My conscience confirms it, and so does the Holy Spirit. What's the role of the Holy Spirit? Well, one of its primary roles is to reveal truth. It's to lead us into truth. In John 16, verse 3, the Bible says, when the Spirit of truth comes, he'll guide you into all truth. In Ephesians 6, 17, the Bible says, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And here's what, what you need to know. It's through the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, that I can know what God considers morally excellent, what it means to have good character. And that's the reason. That's the reason it's so important that you get in the Word of God. You get all excited, man, I'm going to be a Christian. And you've studied the Bible and your life has been transformed and things are going good. And then baptism, this birth, becomes the end of it. You stop having good quiet times and you wonder why you don't develop. And at some point, we even wonder, how could I, man, I'm claiming to be a Christian and I'm so messed up on the inside. It's because you have not allowed God to continue to transform you by trusting Him and finding out what's right. And what's good? You can't have good character outside of trusting God, and you can't really trust God unless you get into the Word and allow God to teach you what you need to know in order to trust Him. That's why when Peter says, remember what he said? Add to your faith moral excellence. What did he say after that? It's the first verse that we looked at. Add to your faith moral excellence and to your moral excellence knowledge. Faith is the basis of my relationship with God. It helps bring about great character, but without knowledge, my character can't be great. And for some of us, we'll never be the kind of men that we need to be because God uses men of integrity, men of character. And sometimes it's not that we're not atheists, we're not agnostic, we're just uninformed believers who don't know God's will because we've never spent the time in the Word. We've never dug in our heels to find the truth of what is it that God wants from my life. And you see, Joseph had this awareness of God that included an awareness of, of God's will and of what God wanted in all those situations. Again, when we look at those life, life events, in the revealing of the dream to his brothers, I believe that Joseph believed that God was the source of his dream. His families seemed to... Seemed to bear that out and as he tells them he believes he's telling them truth that God revealed it for a reason to him and that in revealing the truth the brothers Joseph is not responsible for the response of the brothers God would have known the response of the brothers and in revealing that to Joseph I believe the brothers were ungodly he was godly because he was godly God knew that he could trust him in the land of Egypt if he's an egotistical person who's just concerned about promoting himself, he would have slept with Pharaoh's wife. But God knew the brothers were ungodly. But he knew that Joseph was a person of character, so he gives him a dream knowing that he's going to tell that dream because Joseph is aware that the, reveal, the word of God is revealed. We're going to talk more about that, why I believe that as we go on, all right? In the rejection to Potiphar's wife, he doesn't just know that God is watching him, but what does he know? that is the betrayal of the will and the trust of God in doing this. So he goes from simply going, yes, I know God is there and I trust him, to where he goes, I know God is there and I trust him, and I know that he said what, I am a, what, what she is wanting me to engage in is absolutely wrong. 
good character is dependent upon a good understanding of what God expects. And it's why it's so important that you get a cachet of information that you're not shallow, that you're not superficial, that you're not having to have somebody ride you to get in the scripture, but you're allowing God to change you and to transform you from the inside out to where you have an awareness your mind and heart embraces and trusts God, but it also is educated by God because your conscience and your character are very similar. Both of them have to be educated in order to be good, and it may be that your conscience is the voice of your character. And if it's listened to, it will improve your character. You see, it's when your conscience speaks and you ignore it that your character is corrupted. But if God's, if I'm aware of God and then I know what he should want, wants done, that knowledge gives the opportunity for me to further develop my character rather than just rejecting it and corrupting my character. In his interpretation of dreams, again, to the regular people or to the royalty, in both situations, he knows that God has never wanted a prophet to take the honor for himself. Why does he bring up a God that they don't even believe in or care for? Because it's a part of his character. Not only a general awareness of God, but a complete understanding of the fact that God is trustworthy and God is a God worthy of glory, and Joseph refuses to take any of that glory from him. You see, it begins with this awareness and trust in God, but then it goes deeper where I begin to discover the will of God. Good character knows that God exists, and it knows what God wants. You see, Joseph was aware that God could interpret the dream. He was also aware that God wanted the glory for that. Because of that, Joseph humbles himself. And he exalts God. Why? Because that's what he knew God wanted. In the forgiveness of his, of his brother's sins, again, he is aware that God does not want vengeance. He's aware that God's been working. To destroy the family would be to destroy the work of God. He's not just aware that God is with him. He's aware of what God wants. To, to, to be aware that God is with you and not make you aware of what God wants can make you a demigod. Right? And what can you say but that you're welcome? No, that's right. <laughs> this egotistical thing comes out of you, right? If you haven't seen, seen the, the, uh, the movie uh, Moana, you don't, there's an there's a arrogant demigod that, that's in it. The rock plays that role. So Joseph can become this arrogant demigod who goes, oh, yes, you're, but he doesn't do that because he knows what God wants. God's design was not simply to exalt Joseph. That was part of his plan. His, his goal was to save his brothers. That knowledge of his will allowed him to work effectively. It refined his character. Joseph says in Genesis 50, 19, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Again, Joseph was aware and trusting of God. He was aware that it was God who carried thing out, he was also aware that vengeance wasn't God's will. And once again, we see that Joseph knows and trusts God, but he also knows what God wants, and that trust shows up in the way that he responds. Third thing, we've said that, that if we're going to have good character, I mean, if we're going to be people of, of authentic character, my character has to begin with awareness of God. It's got to continue with an awareness and an understanding of God's will. And then third, Joseph shows me that, that if I want my character revived, 
I must complete the transformation by obeying the will of God. You see, the ultimate revealer of my character is my behavior. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus said that it's from the inside, from your heart come the evil ideas which lead you to do immoral things, to rob, to kill, commit adultery, be greedy, and do all sorts of evil things, deceit, indecency, jealousy, slander, pride, and folly. All these things come from inside you and make you unclean. He says, you know, when all this junk is coming out and you see it, understand it's a problem not with your outside, it's a problem with your inside, it's a problem with your character. In Matthew 12, 35, Jesus said, good people do the good things that are in them, but evil people do the evil things that are in them. So how I am obedient to God reflects the quality of my character, but it also develops my character. There's a partnership that's there. It reveals, but it also cements my character. And the obedience test is especially true when I'm responding with godly actions, when I'm responding in a godly way to people doing ungodly things to me. Joseph's awareness of God and his understanding of God's will is confirmed by his submissive obedience in every one of the significant life events. Again, when you look at those, if you look and see, in the revealing of his dreams to his brothers, I've told you I believe that Joseph believed that God was the source of his two dreams. Of how many dreams did Joseph had? Two dreams. I also believe that he revealed it not to show up, but because he thought God wanted it to be revealed and confirmed. Remember whenever the King Pharaoh comes before Joseph and says, tell me about my dreams. How many dreams did you have, Joseph? I mean, King Pharaoh. What's the answer? Two. Identical dreams? No. How many dreams did Joseph have? Two. Question, identical dreams? Both dreams of Joseph make one point. Both dreams of the Pharaoh make one point. It's true. All right. In Genesis chapter 41, he says, can you tell me about this? I've had these two dreams. In Genesis 41, verse 32, he says, The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God and that God will do it soon. Joseph had an understanding either directly from God or there might be some indication that this was an understanding among the prophets, not a lot of evidence for that. But when the same dream is given in two different forms, it means that this is absolutely going to happen and it's going to happen soon. And so the events of him revealing his dream to his parents, I believe, came for the same reason that he revealed the dream to Pharaoh, is that he believed that this is about to happen and this is God's will and you need to be aware of it. And in both cases, it was the telling of the dream that facilitated the work of God. Do you understand that? Guys, think about that. In the telling of the dreams to Pharaoh, It exalts him to a position to where he can influence the entire nation and save his people. In the telling of the dream to his father and his brothers, it debased him to where he was sent out so that he could fulfill the dream of saving the people. Faithfulness, obedience, on two opposite ends of the spectrum. Why? Because no matter where he was, he was who he was. That consistency. And that's a challenge for you and I. 
It's easy at seminars. Oh, yeah, to get all pumped up, we're together. But when we're at home or when we're in school, when it's all alone, that commitment to say, God, I am aware of you and I trust you. I know what you want me to do, and I don't like this. This is difficult, but I trust you more than I trust me. And you see it over and over and over and over again. He tells his brothers about the dreams because I believe, because he goes, you know, this is going to be made certain. It's revealed twice, and it's going to happen soon. In his rejection of Potiphar's wife, Joseph was not only aware of God's presence, aware of God's standards, he was obedient to them. He obeyed the command to flee the evil desires of youth before it was ever revealed in the New Testament. Right? Remember Timothy? Hey, Timothy, you need to run from the things that are evil. Joseph did that before the command was given like that, but he knew. He knew, he trusted, he knew, and he obeyed. Even when... He knew that there would have been perks involved if he would have been disobedient to God. Guys, just think about it. You've got the hot chick of the land chasing you. You've got a busy husband. You've got the, the, the husband who likes you, but you can have not only the husband's blessing, you can have the wife's blessing. But good character not only trusts God and is aware of him, it is aware specifically of what it wants, but if you've got good character, if you want your character to bloom... You've got to do the right thing, and you have to obedient, be obedient. Again, in his interpretation of the dreams, why does he reveal, here is this thing about God? Well, he knew that, but he also, he had an awareness of God's will, but he's also carrying it out. He's, not, he's just not aware that God doesn't want him to take the glory. He makes sure that he gives God the glory. You understand that the subtle difference that's there? Where he's not just going to sit back and go, well, I, know, I trust God, and I know God, and I know, doesn't, I know God doesn't want me to take the glory. And then just interpreting the dream to where it might be, well, Joseph, he makes sure in every dream that they know that this is not about my power, but this is about God's power. I believe it is a very clear and purposeful attempt on Joseph to be obedient to the will of God, to be humble of himself and exalting of his God. In the forgiveness of his brother's sin. Why does he why does he why doesn't he just destroy them? Well, they're his brothers and he loved them, and that's true. But I think it has to do more for his love for God than his love for his brothers. Because as he frames why he is acting the way that he acts, he says, Am I in the place of God? God sent me ahead of you. And it says, listen, in, in uh, verse uh, uh, Genesis 59, he says, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? And then you're not only saying I'm going to forgive you, not only does he not exact revenge, but he supplies them with everything they need. He goes beyond simple, well, I'm not going to be bitter to where he is gracious. An act of absolute faith in God and trust in him and knowing what God wants and the character to obey God. You see, I want to be a person of character like Joseph, and I hope you do too. How do you develop that character? Well, you understand if you're going to have that character, you have to have an awareness of God that permeates wherever you are. Okay, God is around me. And in some situations, you've got to go, I'm a new Christian. I don't know what God wants for me. Okay, get in the Word regularly. If you're an old Christian, make sure in the Word regularly to where you're not only saying, God, I trust you, but you know what He expects from you. I trust you when it comes to my money. I trust you when it comes to my purity. I trust you when it comes to my service to you. 
So you have an awareness of God and trust him that shows up in an awareness of what God's word says, and then you act obediently. And here's the thing, when you do those things, there is nothing about Joseph that says that he is spectacular other than his faith, his relationship with God, and his obedience to God. We have no picture of his body that he's the best-looking guy in the world. We know that God blessed him with some things, but he blessed him because of his faith, and he saved a nation, and he made impact on the world. Character, people of integrity, have the ability to influence the world. Paul tells Timothy, watch your life and doctrine. There has to be an, an, an integrity. Make sure that you're not just saying things. Make sure that you are living in character. And if you do, you'll save yourself and your hearers. Be men of character. When you say you're a disciple, be a disciple. When you say God matters most, yes, God exists, and God, I know he wants my all, then be obedient to that because you trust him. And in that character that God shapes in you as he changes the way that you think, you will find yourself influencing your community, your college, someday your mate, and your children. I want to make a difference. You know, I'm, I'm on the short side of my existence right now. You know what I mean? I've lived much longer than I'm going to live. And 20 years, maybe, if I'm really blessed. You know, I, I was talking, Boyd's, I think, 81, we were talking about last night. He's still selling books and going around. He's working with the church still. Man, I hope that that's me, but my family history says it probably won't be. I have less time than I've ever had to make a difference. And if I'll not be careful, I think a flurry of activity is the answer, and the answer is to make sure that I'm a person of character, that I'm aware of God, that I'm aware of what God wants, and that I'm doing what he wants. And if I will do that, God will be able to do incredible things in a short period of time. You guys have got a long way. Let God make a difference in you. Make a commitment to be people, to be men who the women look at and can trust because God can look at you and trust you.